One of my uh, one of my heroes in the faith, uh, a guy that I glean from a lot as far as just things that he's written or things that uh, he's preached about or anything like that. He once said, uh, talking in reference to our history, he said that it's imperative, uh, really just good for us to know uh, not only biblical history but Christian history and how uh, all that the weight of what has occurred before us will save us. The weight of what has occurred before us will save us, and it'll save us in two ways. One, that it'll save us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we really ought to. Uh, it tends to be a really, you know, big thing for me, and I think for most people, uh, we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we really ought to. And number two, it'll save us um, in that uh, things are going to happen, and bad things are going to happen. And it'll save us when things go bad. So being aware of biblical history and being aware of not only just what the scriptures have to say, but Christian history, understanding the roots of which our faith has been developed over the, you know, really the last 2,000 years since Christ came, and now here we are, okay? And so he also, he talked about an awareness of, like, understanding all these things will help us in an awareness of knowing who God is and what he has done. Because ultimately, God, being who he is, rich in mercy, sent his son to die for us. There's a kind of a, uh, a word that's used, it's called uh, the meta-narrative of Scripture, and what that means is basically the story of, of the Bible. Uh, and, and the meta-narrative talks about creation, fall, redemption, and reconciliation. Creation being uh, Genesis, where God created the world, and it was good. He created man, he created all the things in the world uh, that are, and uh, it was good. And then what happens is the fall occurs, and it fractures all of it, fractures every bit of it, until... What we have now is a broken relationship, and there's a need for mending, right? And so the meta-narrative talks about the creation, it talks about fall, and then it talks about the redemption. And so the story of Scripture really, uh, kind of where we're headed is this, is that uh, God grew tired from the time he created the world until about the time of Noah, which is what Derek talked about last week if you were here. Uh, God grew tired of humanity. There was... Obviously, sin in the world, sin had occurred, and God started to grow tired of humanity, and he said, we're just going to wipe it out and start over. So he puts Noah and his family in a boat and sends them on their way, and he brings a flood and wipes out all the earth, right? And then what happens is, is Noah goes in, and we looked at him last week, uh, but then uh, they start to press forward, and then what happens? It goes wicked again, right? And so then God take, tells, uh, takes Abram, and he says, listen, I'm going to through you, create a covenant community in which uh, I'm going to fix all that's gone wrong in the world. I'm going to create a covenant community in which I'm going to fix everything that's happened, uh, all that's wrong with the world, and I'm going to fix it. And so he creates this covenant community called the Israelites, right? We, all, of, all of the Old Testament screams this plan. Because all throughout, from the time of Abram, uh, all throughout uh, the Old Testament, we see how the Israelites were formed. We see their cap their slavery, we see how they were released and, and freed, we saw their victories, their battles, all the way up till they got uh, taken into captivity by Babylon, and then released from that, and then 400 years of silence, and then you got this dude showing up on the scene and going, it's time. John the Baptist comes on the scene and he says, it's time, it's time. Jesus is coming, and Christ comes into the world, and Christ says, I have sheep that have knotted this flock. He preaches things like that. He also preaches, and he says, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for your sins, and I'm going to cover the whole world. And Jesus came, and he did exactly that. He went to the cross, and he died for my sins and for your sins. And that's that redemption part for us. So everything that was broken is now mended. 
Everything that is broken, Christ mends and he redeems. And then what happens is reconciliation. And that's where we're at today, the story of Christ. And so his disciples, people like Peter and Paul, are taken with this mission to go out and preach the gospel to all the nations, right? And so Peter goes out and preaches a message and thousands of Jews come to Christ. And then they finally get the, the hint that it's to be to all nations. And they, uh, you see the story of Peter, and he preaches to a Gentile, and he ends up coming to Christ. And we have the first story of somebody outside the Jewish faith coming to Christ. And then what happens from there, it just starts to steamroll. So I want to uh, give you a list of some things here just real quick, if you'll hang with me. Listen to these things, because this is your Christian history. And this is kind of an excerpt from that same uh, guy that I was talking about earlier. In 42 AD, Mark goes to Egypt. In 49 AD, Paul goes to Turkey. In 51 AD, Paul heads to Greece. In 52 AD, the apostle Thomas heads to India. Paul, in 54 AD, Paul goes on his third missionary journey. Then we jump up a little bit. It says in 174 AD, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 280 AD, the first rural churches emerge in northern Italy. Now that Christianity is not just strictly urban. In three in 380 A.D., 31.7, or roughly 53% of the people of the Roman Empire, claimed Christ. In 432 A.D., Patrick heads to Ireland. We celebrate this every year by wearing green and punching one another. In 596 A.D., Gregory the Great sends Augustine and a team of missionaries into what is now considered England. They go into Can uh, A team goes into Canterbury, and, and before you know it, within two years, 10,000 converts have come to Christian, Christian faith. In 635 A.D., the first Christian missionaries are, arrived in China. In 740 A.D., Irish monks finally reached Iceland, and 900 missionaries also reached Norway. In 1200 A.D., the Bible is available in 22 different languages. In 1498, the first Christians are reported in Kenya. In 1501, Pope Alexander VI grants to the crown of Spain all the newly developed countries in the Americas that they would be taught in accordance to religious laws and Christian faith. In, six, er, in 1537, Pope Paul III instructs the Indians of the New World, the Americas, will be brought to Christ by this methodology, the preaching of the divine word and the example of a Christian life. In 1554, 1,500 converts to Christianity are found in Thailand. In 1630 AD, an attempt is made in El Paso, Texas, to form a missionary outreach among the Mesos Indians. In 1666, and John Eliot publishes his book, The Indian Grammar, which is designed to assist in the conversion work of the Indians. In 1671, Quaker missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. In 1743 uh, A.D., David Brainerd uh, starts his ministry to the North American Indians. In 1770, John Marinette, a free black man from New York City, begins ministering cross-culturally to the American Indians. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention Mission Organization is founded. In 1857... First Baptist Church of Cleveland was formed by Pastor William McNutt and a group of people who decided that the plains that would become Cleveland, Tennessee needed a church. In, from 1884 to 2000 A.D., First Baptist Church has helped plant 15 plus, 15 plus churches in the Cleveland and surrounding areas. In 2000 A.D., First Baptist Church helped plant Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, among other church plants across the United States. In 2010 A.D., the First Baptist Church moved to the northern part of Cleveland, and on and on and on it goes. God is doing exactly what he said he would accomplish in Genesis 12 with Abram. And this is what we're caught up in. This is what I'm caught up in. This is what you're caught up in. This is the history of the Christian faith. 
And so tonight, as we get into the story of Moses, I want you to think about all that's gone before us because the weight of what has occurred before us is going to save you when all these things go bad. And I'm telling you, for most, all, almost all of us in this room, it's going to go bad. There's things in life that come, there's, there's death, there's divorce, there's, there's things that you endure on a regular basis. Maybe it's a sinful, uh, you know, just, uh, just repetitious thing that you continually are involved in, and yet all these things will come against you at some point. And so understanding and, and, and kind of tracking with the history of what has gone before us, this is what we're caught up in. Look in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. If you have your Bible, that's where we'll be tonight. Let me pray for us real quick. God, we just thank you. Thank you for the scripture that you've given us. God, we thank you for the rich history that we're a part of. And God, I pray that we be more aware of it than most of us are. God, thank you that, Father, that throughout biblical history and Christian history, we understand to come to know one really simple, important truth, and that is Jesus is enough. Throughout everything that you've done, every person that you've worked in and involved with and throughout the Christian faith, God, Jesus is enough. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. That's what I want you to understand tonight, and that's that's the big point we're going to continue to drive home, is that Jesus is enough. In the story of the Christian history, all throughout history, and the story of Moses, which we're going to look at just just a little bit tonight, is that Jesus is enough. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months from his parents because they saw a child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I'm going to stop right there before we go further, and that is that the story of Moses starts out in a, in a kind of unusual way. Moses, being born to a Hebrew family, an Israelite family, was uh, born in the midst of a time where the Pharaoh, who uh, had seen all these Israelites who were in captivity, start to really grow in number. I mean, they were really growing greatly in number, and he was really afraid that they were going to overthrow him. And so what he did was issue a decree that all the firstborn were going to die. He was going to kill them. And so Moses' parents, being who they were, decided by faith to place Moses in a basket and send him down river because they figured he was better off there than eventually being slaughtered. And so they sent him down river in a basket, and lo and behold, God's providence happens, and he gets picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter picks him up out of the stream and, and adopts him basically into their family. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace. He grows up and lives the high life, right? He's growing up, he's doing the things that Pharaoh's court does and Pharaoh's family does. And eventually, God uh, helps him realize who he is and that he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite. And he has to make a choice. And that's where we come to. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing, right there, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm going to stop right there, that, that Moses had a choice to make. In this moment, Moses had a choice to make. And it's that kind of that hero complex. Because it's an easy decision for him to make that decision to say, hey, you know what, I'm living the high life. I'm staying up in Pharaoh's palace. I got a good setup going on. You know, they may be a little bit, you know, wicked people, but dude, they got it going on. And so he, had, he made that hero choice to either stay in his comfy, you know, leisurely home or to transition and to basically go and live in the slums. He goes from comfort to the slums, and he decides in, in this hero moment that we have of Moses 
this internal conflict that he's making to decide if he's going to stay where he's at or really follow what God's calling him to do, and that's to go and lead his people. And so that's where we find our story, our hero. He chooses to be a lowly hero instead of a successful villain. And really, true faith, this whole Hebrews 11 passage, and I encourage you to read the whole thing because it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Derek referenced it last week talking about Manoah. And there's so many stories by faith throughout the Old Testament and throughout uh, what Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 11 that God used these people by faith to do some really crazy things. And they did it trusting that God was going to continue to work in their lives and continue to lead them exactly where they needed to go. And so Hebrews 11 talks about um, all these different things. And at the end of the passage, it talks about how, um, if you want to look just real briefly, uh, verse 33, it says, who through faith, all these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, I'd like to be a part of that one, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, put mighty, uh, were made mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. All these things, these people had done, these, all these crazy successful things, right? And he's saying that like throughout scripture, some of these guys got to fulfill these things and do some really awesome stuff. But the thing is, this passage like immediately shifts. And listen to this. It said, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. Some of them lived pretty successful lives. I mean, stopping the mouth of a lion sounds really, really cool. Some others of them were sawn in two. They were mocked and flogged and the sword of the lion came down and cut them down. And that's where I feel like our boy Moses is at. Because he's, he, he, Moses is this guy who I really feel like parallels this Batman story. I know it sounds kind of funny, but I'm pretty sure the creator of Batman got the story from Moses. Because this guy who'd grown up in wealth and influence goes off, strays away, comes back and, and saves the people. And he does so underappreciated and undervalued. But the thing about Moses is he never really gets that glamour. He never really gets that successful mission. He always has things that are cutting against him or things in his life that the sword of the lion is constantly coming into his life and cutting him down. Look in verse 26. It says, he considered the reproach of Christ. Think about that. The God of the universe, right? A lot of times we refer to it as the triune God of the universe, God existing in three persons, God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, right? And so Moses, in this moment, it says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I love that. He considers the reproach of Christ. The reproach of Christ is another way of saying that he endured the sufferings that Christ had gone through. I'm telling you, Moses, if anybody has laid, you know, claim on that one. And so look at verse 27. It says, by faith he left Egypt. Moses gets a charge from God. He goes back to Egypt after like 40 years, and he decides as the, as the Hebrew nation, he's going to go in, he's going to lead the people out of Egypt through a little turmoil, obviously, but he goes in, he leads the people out of Israel. They go in across the Red Sea. Uh, the, Israel, the Egyptians try to do the same. They get washed into the water. You check that out here in just a second. By faith, 
He had left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him as who seeing him who is invisible, talking about God. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Check this out in verse 29. It says, By faith people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And it goes into talking about Joshua and the story of Jericho from there. But the story of Moses is this, is that he endured a lot of things, and the sword of the lion came into his life a lot of times and really cut him down. And yet... In the midst of all that, there's one truth that remained in the midst of everything that Moses endured. Because in the midst of all of it, when he was cut down, when things were stripped away, when he was left to nothing, the one thing that remained constant, and the, really the one thing that remains constant throughout Christian history that I talked about, is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Do you believe that tonight? That Jesus is enough for your life. The problem with a lot of what we consider Western success, success here in America is that Moses and Western success would be viewed as an absolute failure, an absolute failure. And someone like Joshua would be viewed as an absolute success. Because Moses, because he's leading around whining, complaining church people, ends up having to walk around the desert for 40 years. And he leads them finally to the promised land. And he's standing on the hill and God's like, there it is, Moses, the promised land. And Moses is like, oh, sweet milk, honey, let's go. God's like, no, 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 I'm going to kill you on the mountain. Joshua's going to get the second man. I don't think anybody in here wants that ministry. I don't think anybody in here wants that life. Moses kind of lived a crappy life. He was a leader, and yeah, he was faithful, but I'm telling you, the sword of the lion kept cutting into his life. And Joshua was viewed as an absolute success because he was able to step up and take him and continue to lead him into battle. Nothing against Joshua. He was a completely faithful dude. But in Western culture, Moses would be viewed as an absolute failure. And the reality is there, there was one thing that remained constant because without Moses, there was no Joshua. That God used Moses regardless of the end result. And regardless of the fame that was going to take place or whatever he was going to be appreciated, that God used Moses because without Moses, there was no Joshua. And God used Moses in a big way because the one thing that remained true in, in Moses' life and really that remains true throughout human history is that Jesus was enough, that God was enough. Do you have genuine affection for Jesus? Do you have genuine affection for Jesus? Do you love him? Do you love him? Is Jesus going to be enough when the sword of the line comes into your life? Because I told you, for almost all of you, it's going to go bad. Things will happen in your life. Big, big things, little things. Things are going to come into your life. The sword of the line is going to chop you down. It's going to strip you all away. And is Jesus enough in the end? About four or five years ago, there was a time where in the same month, I lost a scholarship, I lost a job, and I lost several friends. And in that moment, in that part of my life, I thought, man, this is really, really crappy. Man, this is really, really hard. And if Jesus hadn't been enough in that moment, I don't know what, what the next step or phase would have been in my life, but I'm telling you this, Jesus 
can be enough for you tonight? Is Jesus enough if you never gain Western success? If you're never seen as successful, if you never get that job that you dream of or that family situation that you've always imagined, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough if the sword of the lion comes into your life? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. That God, in the midst of everything that we're a part of, God, all that we do, we have a, a father who cares for us and loves us one that has been with us throughout all of human history, one that knew us even before we were born, even before we were even thought of here on this earth. And we have a father who sent his son into the world to die for us, that we might have life again. God, thank you for the story of Moses. Thank you for the rich human history that we have throughout Scripture, throughout the last 2,000 years or so. That God, as our Christian faith has developed, Father, the one thing that has constantly remained is that Jesus is enough. And Lord, for these students tonight, as one school year ends, God, as the summer begins, as another school year hangs in the balance, Father. We continue to know and understand that, Father, there's so many different things that happen in life. There's so many things that will weigh against us. There's so many storms in life that come. But, God, I pray that the one thing that remains is that you are enough for us. God, when all is stripped away, Father, we would honor you. And, God, that you would be enough for us. Jesus, we pray this all in your beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. All right. Love you guys.